Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. It may seem that the religious fervor found in the Western world may be dying. However, we still have two points of contact that point everyone to Jesus Christ, nature and the restless longing of the human heart. You're listening to He Has Not Left Himself Without Testimony by Rev. Peter Yonker. As we continue our sermon series on Acts, our sermon reading, our Bible reading for this morning is from the book of Acts, Acts 14, uh, verses 8 through 20. That's found on page 1,715 in your pew Bibles. Acts 14, verses 8 through 20. And um, I think, or I hope many of you remember that uh, this whole series on Acts has a subtitle, And that subtitle of this series is The Gospel Engages the World. And we chose that title because, of course, Acts is a book about gospel engagement. At the beginning of Acts, the church is in the upper room. It's this small group of people. They're a little bit afraid. The Holy Spirit comes on them, pushes them out into the world, and they engage the entire world with the good news of Jesus Christ. And we thought that um, just as they were pushed out, So we are coming out of our isolation and we're starting to re-engage with society and it would be good to listen to Acts to hear if we can learn something, to watch how they re-engage the world. Because for us, um, this re-engagement is is going to be very interesting. It's hard to know how the world has changed and what it'll mean to be this church as we go forward. So let's listen to this story of engagement from Acts 14. I'm going to start at verse 8. And um, let me just say beforehand... There's a lot in this story. There's some wonderful stuff that I had to leave on the cutting room floor. So I probably owe you a whole other sermon, but there's a really important part of the engagement that I want to focus on in this passage. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He'd been that way from birth, and he'd never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had the faith to be healed. And he called out, stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyosinian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Now, Paul and, and, um, and Barnabas didn't understand the language which is why it takes them a little while to realize that they're about to be worshipped as gods, okay? The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, bought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes, rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We are only human like you. We're bringing you good news telling you to turn from these worthless things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet, and this is the title of my sermon, this line, he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food, and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. 
now comes a turn that is reminiscent of what happened to Jesus when he got to Jerusalem and how things turned for him. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered round him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. This is the word of the Lord. Engaging the culture. Engaging our culture has always been a complicated thing. And I think it's safe to say that for Christians, engaging the culture has become more complicated over the last 60 years or so. In the middle of the 20th century, um, Christian ideas, Christian stories, knowledge about who Jesus was, that was just sort of part of our culture. If you grew up in the West, if you grew up in the United States, particularly in the Midwest, you kind of knew about Jesus and you knew about Bible stories. It was just sort of in the water. Even unbelievers knew sort of the basics of the Christian story and the basics of Jesus. That has started to change completely. All the surveys of religious participation show that, that religious participation is in steep decline across the board. Um, the most recent survey, and one of the most sobering, came out in March of this year. It was done by the Gallup people, interviewing 6,000 Americans. And the survey showed that for the first time since Gallup has been doing surveys, if you are a member of a religious organization, you are in a minority in the United States. So if you belong to a church, like almost all of you, you are in a minority position. And what's even more sort of sobering than that piece of data is the trends over the long haul. Back in 2000, so only 20 years ago, 70% of Americans were members of a religious organization. So that's way more than half, right? 70% in 2000. And that number 70 had been stable for almost 60 years. When Gallup started taking surveys way back in 1940, I think the number was 75. All right, so it's sort of, if you look at the graph, there's this line that goes down a teensy-weensy bit, and then after the year 2000, it goes from 70 to 47. All right, so just, you look at the curve, that's how it goes. And the decline is across all age groups, all demographics. Um, greatest generation, fewer of you are going to church. Baby boomers, fewer of you are going to church. Generation X, millennials, Generation Z, even fewer of you are going to church. It's like what so many demograph demographers have been saying for a long time, we are starting to enter into a post-Christian secular society. And these trends have, obviously have obvious implications for the way that we engage the world. How do we then start to engage this world that is becoming different, where people don't know about Jesus, and frankly, where there's this sort of mistrust of the church and who we are? How do we engage, and does the book of Acts have anything to teach us about how we engage? Well, as you read this book in your private devotions, I hope you are all doing, you obviously know that the book of Acts is about engaging the world. I talked about that already. And of course, Paul, when he goes on his missionary journeys, his chief purpose is to engage the world. He's going out there to talk to people about Jesus. And when Paul does that, 
He does not do so randomly. When Paul goes out on his missionary journeys and engages, he is strategic in the way that he does it. He has a missiology. He has a philosophy of engagement, a philosophy of missions. What is that philosophy? Well, it depends a little bit. Where does Paul usually go when he comes to a new town and wants to present the gospel? I hope that you all know this if you're reading Acts. Paul's standard way, his his go-to strategy when he first gets to a town is to go to the synagogue, right? Because he's a rabbi, he's a teacher, and he knows he'll get some sermon time. And he knows he's got an audience full of people who know the Old Testament, so it's an easy place for him to get a hearing and to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. And almost all the time that you see him in Acts presenting the gospel, he's starting in a synagogue and presenting there. But there are two times in the book of Acts where Paul preaches to pagans, where he ends up in front of a group of people who are more like what our society is becoming. People who don't know the first thing about Jesus, who don't know the first thing about the Old Testament. One of those times is in our passage in Lystra, right? These people are not God-fearing Gentiles or Jews. They're clearly pagans who worship Zeus. The other time, in Athens, right? When he talks to the Areopagus, all those intellectuals on Mars Hill. Those two times, Paul speaks to pagans. And his strategy when he talks to pagans is different than when he talks to Jews. How so? Well, every time Paul wants to preach to people, what he wants to start with, and this is his mission strategy, he wants to start with a point of contact. When he talks to people, he tries to find some area of agreement with his audience, some place where he can say something that he knows that he believes and they believe and they can find common ground together, a point of contact, and then from that point of contact, he goes on to try to challenge them with the gospel of Jesus, and he urges them to go deeper, and he points to Jesus. When he's in a synagogue, what's his point of contact? The Old Testament. Easy. He knows that all those people in the pews, they believe in the Old Testament, they trust David, they trust Moses, they trust Isaiah. So Paul goes to that point of contact, and he quotes the prophets, and he quotes the Psalms, and he talks about David and says, all those people that you read and love, they are pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the culmination of the Old Testament, and the death and resurrection of Jesus is what God has been planning all along. So when he's in a synagogue, point of contact, the Old Testament. But now he's in a pagan society. What's the point of contact? What's the point of common agreement that he can point to where he can get a hearing? As Paul himself says, he's not out on a limb here. Even though he doesn't have the Old Testament, he does have something because, as verse 17 says, God has not left us without testimony. And as Paul engages those pagan societies, he points to two things. He does the same thing in Lystra as he does in Athens, points to two things, two points of contact where he can engage the pagan culture. First, he points to the natural world. Paul points to the beauty and bounty of creation. He does that in verse 15 of our passage. We are here, he says, to the Lystrans to tell you about the living God who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them. And this God has shown you his kindness 
by giving us rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. You know, the goodness of this creation and the goodness of the bounty that you get from your harvest, I'm here to tell you about the God who gives you those things. He does the same thing in Athens. When he stands up in front of the Athenians on the Areopagus, Acts 17, verse 24, he tells them that he's here to proclaim the God who gives everyone life and breath and everything else. When no one is listening to preachers anymore, when no one is reading God's word, when an entire culture is even starting to push back against the words of faith and not listening to the words that come out of the prophets' mouths, creation still speaks. The heavens are telling the glory of God. Day after day, they pour out speech. He has not left us without witness. It reminds me of the story of the triumphal entry and something Jesus says there in Luke 19.40. Jesus comes into the city on a donkey. You remember all the people are cheering and calling him king. And the Pharisees are there and they say, Master, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to be quiet. And Jesus says, even if they should stop speaking, the rocks and stones would cry out. Creation never stops speaking. Nature is a point of contact. The beauty of creation, the order of creation, is something that stirs the pagan soul. About five years ago, my son Patrick and I went on a three-day hike in the Adirondacks. That's something we like to do. Um, We went about 25 miles in three days. We went up and down a whole bunch of mountains over those days. Um, We walked down these narrow paths with treacherous boulders. We endured lots of mosquitoes. Um, It was rain. We carried 50-pound bags on our back. We slept on the ground. Why did we do that? Was was that a punishment? Were Were we ordered to do community service? No, no, we chose to do this. We like to do this. And not only did we like to do it, honestly, the trails were pretty full of other people who were doing it with us who liked to do it as well. Why are those people out in the woods expending themselves when they could be home in climate-controlled comfort watching cable TV? Because nature communicates something transcendent. When you climb to the top of a mountain and you have 360-degree views on a clear day and you see the hills rolling away from you endlessly and you see the shadow of the clouds skim across from hill to hill to valley to valley, it is glorious. Why do non-religious people, agnostics, atheists, also head out into the woods? Why do they climb mountains? Why do they sit in a woodland glade at the foot of a waterfall and watch the water dance for an hour while they sit on some mossy rock? Why do they make pilgrimages to the edge of the Grand Canyon and stand in silence looking out over that big expanse? Because it's glorious. Because it stirs their soul. And though they may not give a name to what stirs them, they know that it is much more than the physical makeup of these things and the chemistry of these things. It is something transcendent. 
The heavens are telling the glory of God. God has not left us without witness. The Spirit still stirs the souls of these people. Creation is one point of contact with pagans that never goes away. The other point of contact is the restless longing of the human heart. In verse 17, Paul tells the Lystrans that the God that I want to tell you about is the God who fills your heart with joy, who stirs your heart with joy. The joy that you feel in your heart, that wonderful feeling, I'm going to tell you about the God who brings that. That's the same thing C.S. Lewis does, right? If you know C.S. Lewis a little bit, after he became a Christian and he looked back over his life, he said the times when he knew God was moving in his life were times when as a young man he felt this joy. And a famous story is uh, when he was reading poetry, he's reading the poetry of Longfellow, and it was a Longfellow translation of a, of a Scandinavian poem. Only C.S. Lewis would read that as a teenager. But he was reading that, and it had this as an opening line. Balder the beautiful is dead, is dead. Now that sounds like an ordinary line. For Lewis, that absolutely split him wide open. And he says, as a, as, a, as a teenager, he was filled with this enormous longing. And it was only after he became a Christian that he was able to look back and say, that was joy, that was that longing, that was this Holy Spirit stirring within me. Paul does the same thing in Athens, points to their restless hearts. He references all of the idols in the city and he says, brothers and sisters, I see that you're very religious. I see that your hearts are stirring and yearning for God and you still haven't found what you're looking for. And Paul also quotes pagan poets. He quotes the pagan poet Eratus. And he says to them, as one of your own poets has said, we human beings are indeed his offspring. Which is Paul saying, I know you like poetry. I know you like some of those pagan poets like Aratus. Well, Aratus too, and that, that, that longing you feel when you read poetry, I'm going to tell you about the God who brings that as well. Now notice, we can say that Paul reads pagan poetry. Paul interacts with the cultural world of pagans. Their literature, their arts, their philosophy, he knows about those things. He doesn't hold them at arm's length because he thinks they're wicked. He knows about those things because he knows that when you interact with those things in the right way, that's where you see the longings, the restless stirrings, the religious yearnings of the pagan heart. And that's still true. Modern religious surveys may all say that religious participation in institutions is dying away, but that doesn't mean that people are becoming less religious or that their yearnings aren't still there. And it's when you go to literature and music and movies, even if those mu movies are dark, and even if some of that music is jarring and you don't like it, it's there that you can hear the stirrings, the religious yearnings of people. Rock concerts... Musical concerts are one of the, they're like church for unchurched people, right? Because music is one of the places you're, you're, you're free to express what's in your soul. It's okay to open up your soul and a whole group of people can get together and can resonate with that. It's one of the few places in society where people can get together and express religious yearning. 
I listen to a fair amount of indie music, which is probably not what you were expecting your 55-year-old minister to say, maybe not what you wanted him to say, but I do. And um, I find it interesting because when I listen to it, I find it, for just the reasons I said, I hear the religious yearnings of, of the artists in it. One of the artists I listen to a fair bit is someone named Phoebe Bridgers, who I'm sure many of you have never heard of, and that doesn't matter. She's a 20-something living in California, and she could be a poster child for the society that's coming. She did not grow up with any faith or religious practice, and she has no faith or religious practice. And her music and her lyrics, she sometimes even expresses opposition or suspicion of religious faith and practice. But if you listen to her music, there's also this enormous religious yearning. There's this restless heart. Her latest album is called Punisher, and the cover is her standing out in a desert, and she's got um, like a skeleton t-shirt on, like mortality, and she's looking up into the stars, the night sky of the desert, looking like she's searching for something. And the lyrics of the album definitely point to her trying to find something beyond herself. One of her songs, Chinese Satellite, she talks about her and her friends have no belief. She says, we believe that when you die, it's forever. We all know that, they say. But then she can't help but also admit that she wants something more and she feels like there's got to be something more. Here's the end of the song. Sometimes when I can't sleep, It's just a matter of time before I start hearing things. Swore I could feel you through the walls, but that's impossible. I want to believe that if I go outside, I'll see a tractor beam coming to take me where I'm from. I want to go home. Somehow, there's this sense that even though she lives in this world, there's a home beyond this one where she belongs, that this world is not her own. In an interview with Apple Music, here's how she explained the song. I have no faith, she said, and that's what the song's about. I wasn't raised religious. I do yoga and stuff. I think breathing is important. That sounds very millennial, doesn't it? Apologies to all millennials here. So I think breathing is that's pretty much for me as far as it goes. My friend Harry put it in the best way ever once. He was like, man, sometimes I wish I could just make the Jesus leap, but I can't do it. I want someone to shake me awake in the middle of the night and be like, come with me. It's actually totally different than you ever thought. I want to go home. He has not left himself without testimony. The Holy Spirit is still moving in this world, even as culture goes in the other direction. If you're looking at the trends, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. I don't think membership is going to go up anytime soon. But Christ is Lord of this world. The Holy Spirit is still moving. The end of the story for all of us will not be bleakness and darkness and death. It will be joy and life and new creation. And the Spirit is still moving. So don't be afraid of engaging this culture. We have a message of hope. We have bread that people are hungry for. 
And our Lord has not left us without testimony. Amen. Lord God, it's so good to sit in this place and to have your spirit not only stir our souls with some sort of ineffable longing, but to hear your word, to say your name, to have you speak to us through your word. Thank you, Lord, for the deep grounding and eternal hope we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know that we're not always sure how to share that and how to engage a changing society. Um, We ask for courage and wisdom, Lord, as we face the challenges of our days. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.